Every day of our lives is spent in the built environment. We live in homes and apartments, drive on roads, get gas from pipelines, go to work in buildings, make purchases in stores and restaurants. We rely on factories, plants, doctor's offices, and hospitals for our basic human needs. And while our world continues to shift and grow and change, the development and delivery of the built environment has fallen dramatically behind. Welcome to The Built Revolution. We're here to engage the leaders, visionaries, and innovators who are revolutionizing the built environment. This podcast is brought to you by Continuum Advisory Group and the Construction Industry Institute. This is Gretchen Gagle with Continuum Advisory Group. I'm thrilled to welcome Tom Shermack to the Built Revolution today. Welcome, Tom. Well, thank you, Gretchen. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah. So Tom is a noted scholar, uh, practitioner, consultant, advisor in the area of scenario planning, actually in many different areas, but I want to specifically talk to you today about scenario planning. So Tom, tell us about how you originally became interested in scenario planning. Uh, I first became interested in scenario planning um, in, a, in a strategy course uh, as a graduate student. And um, like most people, um, scenario planning is positioned often as one course session in a semester-long strategy course. But um, I just immediately became fascinated with the combination of analytical thinking and creative thinking that's required in scenarios. And I found most of the models of strategy tend to be somewhat rote and people try to determine here are the steps you follow to do your strategy. And I just found the creativity and the lack of uh, specific steps you can take uh, really refreshing and interesting. And that was what really ignited my, my passion. Yeah. Because when, when you and I first met and started talking about scenario planning, it was the um, multiple possible futures that I found so fascinating in the process of scenario planning and getting people to think the unthinkable that, as you said, strategic planning isn't a point A to point B. It's a point A to we don't know what that point's going to look like five years from now. Exactly. And that, that's really the main uh, fundamental difference is that uh, most strategy models or approaches uh, don't necessarily deal with the uncertainty and the possible uncertainties in the business environment. And so many strategy models begin with here's where we are now and here's where we'd like to go. And all of that work is done in isolation of, well, what if the environment changes dramatically? Uh, that ha- that would have a big impact. So the fundamental difference is that scenario planning and scenario planners really push people to say, we really don't know what technology we're going to be dealing with in, even in five years, let alone 10 years, and how that's going to dramatically impact. So we've got to try to account for that in some way. At least that's what scenario planners would advocate. And, and this process or tool has developed as a way to make uncertainty part of the planning process. Right. When I really appreciate your study of the history of scenario planning and in your book, I guess it's not new anymore. It's been out for a few months. Uh, the biography of Pierre Vac, who was one of the leaders, pioneers in scenario planning with Shell Oil. Can you share a little bit about the history of how, how it developed? Yeah, Pierre was a, a, a really eccentric person and that, that was also one of the attractors to me. Anyone who starts to study scenarios will come across his articles. He was a visiting professor at Harvard Business School in the 19, early 1980s. And he published um, two articles in the Harvard Business Review detailing you know, the scenario work they did 
over 10 years at Shell Oil. And um, his, his approach was just so uh, just magnetic for me. And um, so he, he had a, a he grew up, uh, lived through World War II, which certainly had an impact on him. And um, at, at the time, he was working at Shell Francais, and their planning was based on predictive regression models, essentially. And year after year after year, they were missing their predictions. And he said, there's got to be a better way to think about planning, uh, and we can't predict the future. So Pierre had spent a lot of time in the U.S. meeting with Herman Kahn, who was another really important figure in the development of scenario planning. Uh, Herman Kahn's work was really about nuclear war and thinking the unthinkable and how how really thinking differently about the future could um, take the U.S. out of the nuclear war uh, space. And Pierre took his ideas and said, I need to find a way to adapt this to the corporate environment. And so his story is a, is a long and really interesting one. He just, just by way of note, he, he would uh, travel to India and Japan and spend weeks at uh, temples living like a monk. And he had a guru in India he would go and sit with for weeks. So um, he really took, you know, Eastern thought and made that a part of, you know, what was an Anglo Dutch, you know, Royal Dutch shell and, and very, Dutch approaches to planning, which were highly predictive. So um, it was just a fascinating story to work on. Well, and his work really um, positioned Shell to achieve great success. Uh, there was probably a lot of skeptics when he started working with it, but the the results that his team talk about what they actually accomplished for Shell. Yeah, and it's I mean the the reality is. Uh, there were a lot of skeptics at the beginning, and it, it took it took six years for the scenario team to gain some sort of credibility inside Shell, and and that's a part of the story that people often don't know. Pierre and his team, others, Ted Newland, Napier Collins, Michael Jefferson, they were all protected um, by a managing director or a, or eventually a couple until the whole managing director team saw the utility of scenarios, but. They really were supported um, in the face of several rounds of just total failure scenario projects that really didn't generate any insight at all. So it was a long process for them to work out how do we do this and how do we connect it to strategy and how do we make it tangible for really senior senior people. And so, yeah, his work and his the work of his team is still the classic, most often referred to example and they were essentially able to anticipate um, two major oil crises, one in 1975 and the other in 1982. And it was, uh, it was their scenarios that allowed them to make decisions ahead of time. And, and there's a strong link to agility and flexibility and, and that sort of thing. So talk to us about what scenario planning is, because I, I find people using these Two simple words in so many different ways. And, and you know, well, it's about trying to guess what the future is going to be or other kind of misconceptions. So t- tell us, what is scenario planning? Well, that's a tough question, but I'll do my best. Um, scenario planning essentially means something different to everyone. And it's, it's actually one of the great things about working in that space. And it's also one of the frustrating things about working in that space. So um, there is no step-by-step process for scenarios. And that was also an attractive thing to me that 
you really have to be creative. And every project I work on is really customized to client needs and the situation and the environment. So a lot of people, you know, think scenario planning is let's just generate 10 different scenarios of just sort of what if brainstorming. And, and what I'm going to say about this really comes from my study of Pierre. He was very clear that scenarios are not simply taking one variable and moving it up or down. For example, in his case, you know, oil price, you know, that is, that is not a scenario in Pierre's terms. It has to be a collection, a system of dynamics that, that interact together. So if you have oil price spikes, uh, that will have a dramatic effect on many other variables. And so the scenario needs to describe these, this, the whole set of variables, the system, rather than just one thing up or down. And I think that's one thing a lot of people get wrong. It's important to say, too, that Pierre's approach to scenarios, uh, he never had a step-by-step -step process. He would assemble a team of really diverse thinkers. They would go away for a week and just sort of lock themselves. And he actually took them to a castle in the south of France one time. And this was the kind of thing he did. And it was really to get away from the office, no phones, no televisions, nothing. Uh, and that's just uh, nearly impossible in this day and age. But they would just work out, like, what are the forces driving the system? And they would fight with each other. And eventually these system dynamics would start to emerge, these different patterns. Um, in the early 2000s, Peter Schwartz and Jay Ogilvie developed what is commonly known as the two-by-two two matrix. And that is more of a step-by-step approach. It's more of a workshop format where you have participants in the organization and you're working to identify sort of two main critical uncertainties. And those are things that could really dramatically affect the organization and those that are wildly uncertain. And you put them on a two by two matrix, which gives you some basic scenario structures. And just doing the math, there generally are four scenarios that come out of that process. So that's really the main, um, approach to scenarios that has been documented and is sort of a step-by-step. -step. There are lots of other consultants out there that have different ways of generating scenarios, uh, more intuitive approaches. And so there's a big debate, debate in the field about, you know, what is, what is the standardized approach to scenarios? And there really, there really isn't one. But the main thing is to capture, you know, what really is uncertain in the business environment. How could things evolve and, cha and change in ways that we don't expect? And then what does it mean for decision-making we still have to take on today? Yes, and it's that uncertainty. So with that, that actually leads to my next question. Why should our listeners care? I mean, it, I'm a leader of a construction firm or an engineering firm. Why should I care about scenario planning? Why should I devote resources to it? Well, I think uh, I'm going to have a long answer to that question. In my view and in my experience, um, a lot of leaders don't actually devote a lot of time to strategy, and uh, and scenario planning is doesn't work in that circumstance. Uh, I occasionally will get a call, "Hey, can you come and do our strategy workshop?" And it's one day in the summer, and those scenarios are a really time intensive process, and you really have to get people to think differently. But what that gives you, though, is a completely different understanding of the dynamics in your industry. So take the construction industry, take workforce issues, take economic issues. All of these things could play out in different ways that 
I would argue a lot of people aren't really thinking about. So if as a leader, you really want to be prepared and you want to have some insight into the future and you want to be able to act quickly, uh, then then scenario scenarios are a really appropriate tool for that. So I think I think that's really an important point to get across. That's why you should care because if you invest the time and energy into scenarios, they really will give you insights about the future, and they'll give you ways to think that you that you don't currently have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so. It's so interesting. I interviewed Chris Worley. You and I were just talking about this before we started recording. And and Chris Worley, obviously, his focus is agility. And he describes four agile routines, agile strategizing, agile perceiving. And he talks a lot about scenario planning and the agile perceiving and that it's, you know, some companies are, are, and I see this in the construction industry, we're really good at collecting market data and we love the numbers. We're all engineers, right? So how much is this market predicted to grow, et cetera? But we're not collecting enough of the right data and we're not, we don't feed it into a decision-making process that helps us do something with it. That's a really important point because um, you can collect uh, far more than enough data. <laughs> what scenarios give you is a way to organize it. Um, the human brain can't make sense of all the data that we're collecting all the time. But scenarios give you a way to organize sort of like the Cliff's Notes and a way that will allow your brain to engage in like, okay, well, if the world changes dramatically this way or the industry, uh, what would we do? How would we respond to that? What things would we put into place um, to prevent that or to support that? And, uh, and, and I think that's really one of the most important outcomes of scenarios is that link to agility. Uh, I don't think it's been very well studied. There's a lot of anecdotes about how, you know, in my company or in Shell, we were able to do this or that because of the scenarios. But there's a lot of development and a lot of research and scholarship that still needs to be done. But scenarios do give you a short rule of thumb of how to organize all this information that's coming at you all the time. Yeah. And I think, you know, studying under you, and um, your book on scenario planning, uh, digesting that, going through a scenario planning process, it's there's a couple of things that struck me. One is that the process in and of itself forces people to think the unthinkable. That's a phrase that I've heard you use quite often that, you know, you think of a blockbuster or some organization that's not in existence anymore because they weren't able to think the unthinkable. They weren't able to think that Netflix was going to take their market position and that technology was going to so dramatically change the way that we watch movies. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and that's, that's, again, that's really one of the core purposes of scenarios is to think, you know, you say blockbuster. I mean, you could look at, uh, remember CDs, compact discs. I mean, yeah. One move, Apple completely changed the way that we look at music. And, you know, there's a, other different digital versions of that now. But, yeah, these companies and these organizations were, were not thinking well, and they were not thinking about, you know, what if the format of our product completely changes? And, uh, yeah. and, that, and again, to your previous question, I mean, that's why, that's why as a leader you should care because there are plenty of examples of leaders and companies that, that didn't spend any time thinking about dramatic market and industry changes. 
Yeah. We're getting ready for some big disruptions in the construction industry. I read an article in the New York Times last week about a partnership between Skanska and Ikea, where they're building modular apartment pods in a warehouse with robots. And then those they're connecting these pods like Legos in the field. And they've cut the time to build a four-story apartment complex in half. Sure. Well, and even think about the reuse of shipping containers as housing. Yeah, there's certainly some examples of that being very successful. And uh, you know, depending on climate, there really aren't a lot of construction costs associated with that, not compared to building an apartment building. Right. One of the things that also struck me um, studying scenario planning with you, Tom, was seeking out information from non-traditional sources. And frankly, that's one of the reasons that I've brought some of the guests on to the built revolution like yourself that are outside of the construction industry. Sometimes I sit at the Construction Industry Institute conference or the Construction User Roundtable and I think, wow, we're just all breathing our own smoke, right? We're just sitting around talking about problems and issues that we've been talking about for a long time. Talk to us about that that importance of non-traditional sources of information when you're a, a, a leader. Yeah, that really is, um, you know, going back to Pierre, that really is his <clears throat> lasting legacy. He um, used the term remarkable people. And so he would travel all over the world. And there's really some funny stories about um, his assistant at Shell would tell these stories that people from India would just show up and, and she would have to rush them off to HR and get them paid and find a workspace because Pierre had said, yeah, come and work with us at Shell for the next six months. We need your insights on scenarios. So he, he traveled the world looking for really innovative thinkers who saw the world really differently than he did or any of his colleagues in you know Royal Dutch Shell. And he purposefully sort of injected that different thinking into the scenario work, because that's the whole point is to challenge your mental model. And we could talk a lot about mental models, but for most people, you get locked into your mental model and you need a way to break out of it and to change it and to evolve it. And, and meeting with other really diverse thinkers is one way certainly to do that. That's so interesting. This course I just wrapped up last night with the University of Denver MBA program I'm teaching leading with integrity and the entire last course was as a leader, how we break our habits and how we change the way we think and neuroscience. I think that's going to be the next frontier over the next 10 years or so as we really understand so little about our brain and how we can train it to think in new ways or think expansively and break through those mental models and paradigms that we have. Yeah. And this this isn't really related to scenarios explicitly, but it certainly could be. Um, some of the work I've read about the brain, uh, one of the best things you can do is travel to places you've never been before, you know, different countries, different languages, because your brain actually does really different things when when you are in environments that are not your day-to-day habit. I mean, you think about it, you get up, you have your whole morning routine, you don't have to think about it. But if you're trying to get somewhere in a city you've never been, uh, it's a bit more challenging and you have to activate your brain in different ways to do that. So similar to that, Exposing your own thinking and allowing it to be challenged by people who think differently mm-hmm. is a really profound um, part of scenario plan, for sure. Yeah, I think we're dealing with that in our industry, too, with the millennials and lots of people coming up with new ideas about how to do things. And those of us that have been like me that have been around for 30 years 
uh, squelching that we we haven't tried that we haven't done it that way you know how are we open to these um, to these new ideas so I want to talk a little bit about I'm a listener out there and I think this is all kind of interesting and um, it really links to another podcast I did with a gentleman named Rex Miller who's a futurist in the construction industry I don't know if you've ever come across Rex but he talks about these um, third horizon, second horizon, first, you know, weak signals, strong signals, and how we should be paying attention, like flying cars is a weak signal, but it's a coming, you know, becoming a stronger signal. So I'm out there listening. I think, wow, this is all kind of interesting. What do you do? Like you're a leader and you want to dive into scenario planning. How do you, what's the first step? <laughs> well, without it sounding too much like a, like a sales pitch, I think you need some expertise because um, like we said earlier, I mean, there's, you can just sit around a table and everyone just throws out a scenario. Um, but you, I think you need some expertise, someone who's done this kind of work before to guide you through it. And the way I teach my doctoral students is they, um, in the scenario planning course at the PhD level, uh, we recruit companies and the students work in teams and they actually have to design, develop, and facilitate a scenario project for a real client. And um, that, I think, is, is really the closest thing to apprenticing. I just, I've seen some of the two-day workshops or one-week workshop, and the fact is no one can be prepared after a few days to go into a company and run this kind of a project. So I think you need to, you need to be tutored by someone who has some expertise, number one. Um, the other point I would make here is that Again, going back to Pierre, just remember that it took him six years to have success. So it's unrealistic to think that we're going to run a scenario project over a couple of days and have some dramatic insights. And that's what I was saying earlier about you really have to think deeply, which means you have to invest time. You have to recruit remarkable people who think differently. And it takes a lot of effort to get to a point where you have this flash of insight and understanding the environment in a way that you didn't before. So that's my advice is to begin with someone who, who knows this, who's done this, um, to really, you know, apply it, really commit to it and, and try not to sell the process short. You can't do scenario planning in a two day retreat. Yeah. It sounds like you really need to embed the thinking of scenario planning into the culture of the organization that it needs to become, you know, just a part of the way you think as an organization. And that's probably why it takes time to to embed it in the thinking and culture of the organization? Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes we talk about <clears throat> mental models as like you can just take yours out and insert a new one. But, you know, it doesn't work that way. It takes time to, you know, we're talking about changing your assumptions. We're talking about changing the kinds of questions people ask, changing the way they think. And that's a that's an uncomfortable uh, and time-consuming process. Um, but I think with dedication... People can really uh, anticipate things that might happen in the future in, in dramatic ways. Right. Yeah. And Tom, remind us of the name of the book you wrote on scenario planning, not not Pierre's biography, but the, the book you wrote on scenario planning. Yes. I, I wrote a book in 2011 called Scenario Planning in Organizations. And it was, the purpose was to give people some guidance. Um, but as I said before, Every project I work on is completely customized and tailored to client needs and the situation. 
But what I tried to do in that book was give a framework. There are certainly some core pieces of scenario planning that are common to most all projects. And so I tried to lay out a framework in that book. And the hope was that someone with some significant OD uh, consulting experience could pick it up and at least uh, have a starting point to, to jump off from. But I still think being guided through the process in some way the first time you do it, it would be really important. Yeah. Well, my studies on agility and the level of conversations that we're having now in the construction and engineering space about the need to be agile, the need to be nimble, the need to understand that um, we've, you know, the VUCA world, right? Uh, That the velocity of change out there and scenario planning just keeps coming up over and over again as a critical tool that leaders really need to investigate and understand in order to prepare themselves for this world in the, the way that it is going to manifest itself over the next decade. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think I can't think of an industry that isn't changing rapidly. Uh, and thus my conclusion is every leader, every organization should be engaging in some kind of scenario planning or futures thinking. Uh, there are, of course, other tools. I mean, many organizations have had great success with strategy and strategic planning. So I just think it's imperative that people be dedicating time and energy to thinking about the future because the world is changing so fast. And if you don't want to be blindsided, um, these kinds of tools are critically important. Great. Well, Tom, thank you so much for your time today. I know how busy your schedule is. Uh, It's I feel so fortunate to have had the opportunity to study under you and study scenario planning. And it's really expanded my mental model of what, what strategic planning should look like and how much more I want to hang out with futurists and people that think different to me. So it's, it's been an incredible experience getting to know you. Well, likewise, Gretchen. Thank you always for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to the Built Revolution pod brought to you by Continuum Advisory Group and the Construction Industry Institute. Continue the conversation on Twitter at Built Revolution Pod or email us at hello at builtrevolutionpod.com. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals being interviewed, and they do not necessarily reflect the views of the sponsoring organizations.